Welcome again to the Silverlight Photo Co. podcast. Today we're going to be talking about something that I've talked about before, and this might be sort of a part two, but we're talking about lens sensor LUTs, a little bit about what they are, but also we're going to be talking about why I use camera settings in addition to LUTs to control and improve what I call the lens sensor relationship. So this is a really big thing. This is probably one of the top three things that I that I teach or talk about, um, especially for budget filmmaking. And just to take the term lens-sensor relationship here and, and go into a little bit of detail, you know that like on a lot of uh, high, high-end, you know, big-budget uh, films, they have a matched set of lenses. And the reason they do that, of course, is so that the you know, the different shots match. Well, for us budget uh, (laughs) film people, we we have to use different lenses. Sometimes we don't use the ideal combination. So there might be, um, I I mean, my recommendations start by saying, well, try to get lenses from the same uh, manufacturer or uh, even better from the same vintage. So let's say you're uh, shooting native Panasonic lenses, which I don't do a lot of, even though I do use Panasonic cameras. Let's say you're shooting native um, uh, Panasonic glass. So if you buy something from the vintage, the the old Vario X, um, it was, you know, the, the, the earlier ones that had the red X on them. And you buy two or three of those pro-level lenses, like the 12 to 35 2.8, and then the 35 to 100 2.8, you should get similar color rendering, right? And I think the reason why that happens is because the manufacturer figures that the person is going to buy both of those lenses if they're if they're going all out on the kit, and they expect that they'll get some criticism if those lenses don't match optically, meaning from one camera to the next, the shots won't match. So I think that I've noticed this um, pretty universally throughout a lot of the major lens manufacturers anyway, uh, especially Nikon and Canon. Uh, actually, actually, I shouldn't say Canon so much. They They tend to make their L lenses so much better that <laughs> it's, I don't know, okay, we won't go into how that happens or why that happens, but they're so much better than their uh, non-L glass that matching them is 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 not automatic. So, but Nikon, I think there's a real consistency between uh, the lenses, even, uh, well, let's, let's just, as an example, given some details here, the Nikkor D series. Uh, from the early autofocus era, it's my favorite. It's my favorite vintage of Nikon lenses. I'm I'm really partial to those because they have been so accurate and so neutral on all of the sensors that I've used, and I don't know exactly why. But what's when I say neutral and accurate, what I'm really doing is I'm comparing it to the next version of the Nikon or the next uh, I don't know iteration, as it were, of the Nikon generation, it was the glass that would say ED on the lens. So, you know, extra low dispersion glass or whatever it was. And that was touted as a a fantastic upgrade to the D series lenses. And 
I think they were too contrasty and too saturated. Now, I've mentioned this before, I think it's quite an accomplishment that Nikon achieved more color and more contrast than they had before. And for film, that was a benefit. Um, maybe not if you wanted to shoot neutral, I guess, but the point is, at the time, this was uh, before Photoshop was, you know, super popular, it was a, you know, an analog workflow. So really, the only way to improve your color or saturate your color more was to buy a different film stock. And there were, of course, certain film stocks and certain slide uh, film emulsions that were known for having more saturated color, and I think they even would advertise that. So for Nikon to achieve that with their optics was pretty amazing, and that was, well, one of the reasons people would choose Nikon glass. But now that I'm repurposing these lenses, you know, 10, 20 years later for digital, the challenge is that certain sensors, and if you want to check out which ones I'm currently testing, I, I, I'm big on the Panasonic uh, bargain cameras, the GX85, uh, the G7 also, and then the G85. Might go for the GH4 at some point here because it's becoming so affordable, but I'm really targeting improving the quality uh, the production quality we can get from these these cameras. These are about $300. All these ones I mentioned except the G85 are around 300 used. Because these are so affordable, I am optimizing uh, the images I get in the, in, the, in the shots from these to every single lens that I can get my hands on. So I'm trying to start with affordable optics that are also fairly popular. After that, and depending on how much interest there is, I may move up to the next level. Uh, I would say, you know, it's not affordable per se because now we're moving up above my, what my limit was, was $300 max for a lens and $600 max for a camera body. But if we're moving up to around five, $600, then the Sigma 18 to 35 is so popular and so good that I would like to test that and create lens sensor LUTs and develop a library of camera settings for those for that as well. I'm I'm just let's just start out. I'm I'm excited about the fact I'm creating a lens sensor LUT for every combination that I have. So that's three cameras right now: the, the Panasonic G7, the Panasonic GX85, and the Panasonic G85. If you think about it, so I've got maybe 15, 10, 15 lenses right now that I am testing or can test. And when you multiply that by three, that's 30 tests that I have to do. I'm doing both indoor and outdoor. So that's times two now. So that's 60. So the number of LUTs that I'm creating is going to be quite a bit. And if you check out my website, you can see I'm just starting to put those up. So go to silverlightphotoco.com slash LUTs. So this is what we're talking about today, and this is what I'm very excited about, is providing 
LUTs that are uh, lens sensor specific and camera settings. So now let's talk about that. Why use camera settings in addition to a LUT? I'll just say that my plan was just to create LUTs and I was going to sell those and I still plan on doing that and I'm working on that right now. But I started to tweak the camera settings at the same time as creating the LUTs. And, and what happened was I found all kinds of people saying, well, just, you know, set your uh, contrast, your sharpness, your noise reduction, and your color all the way down. Or um, one, one source says, don't set the color all the way down. Set the color to negative three and go negative five on everything else. And I thought, okay, that's what everybody's doing. So let's just start with that. Well, as you may know, you know, probably can guess, it's not a usable image until you edit that in post-production and apply a LUT. Let's start with the number one point, why I use camera settings, you know, color settings, like for contrast, uh, sharpness, and in Panasonic, they have the noise reduction as well, and then also color saturation. I adjust those as well as doing a LUT for number one, live streaming. It helps for live streaming, right? Um, I think there are some geniuses out there who've found a workaround, and Gerald Undone has a, a workflow that I, 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 I love his concept. He's got an Atomos recorder, and he's shooting in log, so he's capturing in log, but he's passing it through that Atomos recorder, and that's where the LUD is applied, and then it goes to his ATEM Mini switcher. I think it's genius. I It's like, oh, yeah. You know, because usually people just use the Atomos monitor to uh, preview to show the client or whatever. But he's using it to apply the LUT so that the output from the Atomos is looking great. Well, on a budget, I can't buy multiple Atomos recorders for each camera. Well, you know, you can see the, the logic there. You need one LUT per camera. Now, especially... Because my LUTs are specific to a lens-sensor combination, now I really have to have one Atomos recorder per camera, right? Because now I have to tweak it for that combination. Because it's all about lens-sensor relationships is what I, what I like to say. So that workflow wouldn't work for me. And just, just so you know, I have three levels, I call them kit levels, that I teach in regard to video production. And the first one is called Minimal. You've probably heard that me say this. If you've listened to any of my past episodes, you know this, so I'll rush through it. But Minimal is a single camera with a cell phone on top. Now, I've just been testing a GoPro on top instead of a cell phone, and you know what? I'm liking it. So I'm gonna we're going to talk about that in another podcast episode coming up here. But GoPro or cell phone on top of a camera is the minimal kit. Now, I I don't hesitate to say this is all based on my number one tip, which is always shoot with two cameras, or at least two cameras. And so that's the minimal kit. Well, in the minimal kit, I don't get into talking about LUTs and all that as much, but I do give you the option. Now, with the basic kit, I move up to two cameras, and now you have two identical or 
cameras that are close in color science, and now you've got two cameras uh, for both shots. So, so you've basically got, you've upped your production value because you've got two cameras, and the, the, the image should look very similar because they're the same sensor. But we know that when you use a different lens, it changes the color, the contrast, the sharpness, the lots of things. Now let me just say about sharpness. Sharpness is not something you can always match between lenses. It's, it's just not possible. But the color, the contrast, you know, the color saturation, the the uh, contrast, the and just the um, the general look like does it have a lot of digital noise or a little? And and you say, well, how? Well, why would a lens affect that? Well, for some reason, I think it does. <laughs> it's to me, it's I I, I think that uh, it affects it in ways that you know light is interesting and it goes through uh, in in intense ways or less intense ways. And I think that really reveals the, the, the grain or the digital noise that's created from some sensors. So some lenses I consider to be more smooth and some more gritty. It's, it's kind of funny. But uh, as a quick example, that generation of Nikkor glass that I, I referenced earlier, the ED glass. So we're talking when it moved from AFD to AFS. And you had like the 75 to 300 um, and has an ED designation. Well, to me, that was more contrasty. And so on the sensors I was using, um, Panasonic G5 was the one I was using at the time. That showed more digital noise. Kind of interesting, but it just did. And then I tried a Tam, uh, no, not a Tamron, a Tokina. 12 to 24, and that thing is smooth as butter or as glass. I, I don't know how to say it. Glass is probably the better <laughs> analogy anyway here, but it's smooth. I don't understand why one lens would render something so smooth as far as digital noise and the other exposes the noise more. I don't know why it does it, but it does. So believe it or not, you can match or come close to matching the perceptible noise between two lens sensor combinations. So we are still on point number one here, talking about live streaming and why it helps for live streaming. But so let's just wrap that point up and just say, uh, because I want to get into those details I was just bringing up. But for live streaming, of course, it helps if you can match your cameras in camera. That makes it easier, right? So then if you're using something like the ATEM Mini, and you're switching between cameras, you know, it looks pretty decent. So that's number one. Now number two, we started to get into this a second ago, there are things that you can't fix with a LUT, especially if you're not shooting raw. So let's talk about that. I, I started to go into some hints. Uh, I'll just say we talked about noise, reducing noise. People just shy away from using the noise reduction setting on Panasonic cameras a lot of the time because they say it, it attacks my sharpness. It takes away the sharpness. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Let me let me just say here, um, there are three main things that we're going to be talking about that you can't fix with a LUT. One of those I mentioned was noise reduction, but let's go in the order 
uh, Panasonic settings that you can tweak under the, what they call the, uh, it's a picture profile, but I think they call it a photo mode or something like that, photo style. So the first one is contrast. So contrast, you can tweak afterwards, but as far as capturing, um, if you tweak, if you put the contrast too high to start with, you're in trouble because you can't bring it back later for a um, non-raw video capture. So that's why people tend to turn the contrast all the way down. Now, I'll, I'm going to talk about that a little bit and because we've got four different settings in the Panasonic uh, ecosystem. We've got contrast, sharpness, uh, noise reduction, and color. And the color refers to the intensity or the saturation usually. Saturation may not be the, exactly the right technical term, but it's the intensity. You turn the color down, all the way down, 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 it gets more towards black and white. So, yeah, pretty much is saturation. But those are the four variables in the Panasonic system. I briefly owned a Sony a7 II. Noticed they only have three variables. They don't let you control the noise reduction uh, in the Sony a7 II anyway. And so you just have contrast, sharpness, and color. So certain things can't be changed with a LUT or fixed with a LUT. Contrast um, is something that can be adjusted, but like I say, if you don't capture with a low enough contrast, you can't really capture high contrast and go the other way. You can easily capture low contrast and go the other way. And that's sort of the whole or a big part of the mentality behind shooting in a log profile or you know, turning your, you know, even in the natural profile, which is what I'm currently using for Panasonic cameras that don't have log, or at least I don't want to go that far. So why don't I just go turn my contrast all the way down to negative five? Well, here's where it gets interesting. Did you know turning the contrast down sometimes affects the color rendition? Yes, in my testing, with certain lenses, I'm going to give examples as much as I can, but I'll just say with certain lenses, if you turn the contrast down too much, you're also losing color. And here's how. An example I have here is the, um, the old Nikon 51.8 uh, Series E. So that's an interesting lens optically, I'll just say, especially when viewed on a digital uh, capture well, I started using this E-series lens again recently, uh, although maybe a cleaner version, but on my GX85, my G85, etc. Well, I noticed it is weird. It still has some interesting things, but I would call it, it's kind of like, it's a very compressed uh, range of color or something. It's almost like, if you were to look at a histogram or something like that, the color would not start till somewhere, you know, a quarter away through from the shadows to the midtones. You'd be, you'd be like, okay, there's not much color in the shadow area, and then it starts up. It's kind of like that, but it's not exactly. I mean, for you to understand exactly what I mean, I'd have to show you the actual tonal curve where the color starts in, in my mind, etc. But when you deal with a lens like that that just feels like it's not really full spectrum, and you start grading it, 
it feels weird. It's just like, what's wrong with this lens? Now, the reason I know this is compare, comparing it to the, uh, the 51.8D series, a newer lens and much better optically. That one's normal. It's like, that's completely full spectrum. You adjust the curves or, you know, you tweak it in post-production with the different color correction tools. And it's what you would expect. It doesn't have any weird missing sections of color. So when you have lenses like that, when you adjust something like the contrast, believe it or not, you end up throwing away some of the color information that you can't get back. And I know you might think, well, <clears throat> that's just the function of the, you know, the color intensity uh, adjustment on the camera settings. And that's why people say, oh, don't go all the way negative five on the color. Well, definitely, definitely the color settings are important to be careful with on this lens as well. But the contrast also affects it. So you got to watch out to not go too low on the contrast. And you've got to watch, of course, to not take the color down too much. Now, let's let's just uh, use a sort of an unintended uh, a word here. Let's contrast this <laughs> to a different Nikkor lens that needs a lot of color taken out of it. This is sort of strange here, but the Nikkor 55 to 200, it's a DX lens, but that one has so much color information. It's amazing. I'm at negative four or negative five to get this thing to look neutral. Okay, this is not doing it to make it look like log footage and totally gray. This is doing it to make it look normal. So at zero, on the natural profile, at zero, the color is intense. And in my testing process, what I'll do is I'll start you know, at zero and I'll go negative one, look at it, go negative two, etc. And I kept going down and down, and the color did not look normal. I mean, like what your eye sees. It did not look normal until negative 5. I think I was getting close at negative 4, but negative 5 is where I chose to uh, put my recommendation for that lens. And so that causes you to see, okay, so you're not putting, you're not recommending to go negative 5 on everything all the time. And so let's get into that. Um First of all, let's let's just let's just round off. Maybe maybe let's go into a little more detail about the my statement number two, which is there are some things you can't fix with a LUT. So that's one. You can't always bring color back with a LUT, and you can bring contrast back. But I mentioned contrast removing color sometimes because you got to be careful. So I don't give a universal piece of advice concerning when, when this is like one of the biggest questions people have what camera settings should I use you know what color settings and I do not subscribe to the go negative five on everything or just accept the color negative three I don't subscribe to that because I test every single lens and I have a different recommendation for each and this is where what I'm so excited about because I'm getting great results from doing it this way so I'm excited to show you. I'm putting up samples on my website, but they're they're going to be here in the next few weeks. So if you don't see anything up there yet, you'll see a few. Keep coming back, and I hope to share this with you visually as soon as I can. Now let's keep going here and talk about a few other things that a LUT can't fix. 
So another thing I mentioned earlier was noise reduction and how people tend to shy away from using it at all. And they say, well, we'll add the sharpness in post-production. So it's called noise reduction, right? And Panasonic put it in the camera to give you the opportunity to choose how much in-camera noise reduction you want to apply. But most people just say, ah, oh, turn it all the way down. But let me tell you a unique way that I use noise reduction to improve the lens sensor relationship. And this is going to be different. I, I don't know if I, it's probably not the, I know it's not the way it was supposed to be used, but I'll just tell you how I use it. So when a lens shows digital artifacts, so uh, Spencer Whiteman on YouTube talks about this. He talks about, um, especially the GX8, Panasonic GX85, because the low-pass filter or the anti-aliasing filter was removed, you get a sharper image, but you also reveal sort of the digital structure of the image. And here's what, that's how I describe it. He calls it the edge, the digital edge. And what I, the way you can notice it is you look at the diagonal lines. And if you see stair-stepping, you know, that typical old thing where if you had a really low pixel image, you would see stairs. You know, just think Tetris or something like that. If you see stair-stepping on your diagonal lines, especially in the highlight areas, is where it's pretty obvious anyway, to me, that reveals that it's a digital image and it's a bad thing. And so what Spencer Whiteman does is he uses older glass, you know, um, and that kind of covers that up. And so I started thinking, okay, well, what, 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 do you, what do you do when you have a sharp lens? And a couple of lenses that I ran into that were really sharp that I had a problem with, and I don't recommend for the Panasonic GX85, were the Sigma uh, 30 f2.8, not the real good f1.4, but I'm sure that was sharp as well, and then the Olympus 17 2.8. So if you want a sharp lens, those two are very sharp. But the problem was with the GX85, without the uh, low-pass filter, they were too sharp. And they did what I was just talking about. They exposed the digitalness of the image, and I could see the stair-stepping. So, noise reduction comes in. What does it do? Well, it reduces the noise by, well, I won't give you the scientific method, but what it does is it reduces... The, the effect is it ends up reducing the sharpness a little bit. And that sharpness reduction ends up controlling or mitigating, as, as Spencer Whiteman uses the word, it mitigates the digital look and it makes it look more like film. So if you want to take an image that you think looks too digital, sometimes noise reduction is your best friend. Because adding just a little, I usually only add like plus one, I don't think I've ever ever gone too much more than that, but plus one, well, and the FC1000, I do go more, but usually it's only plus one. And I find it works really well to do a couple things. It reduces the noise by reducing the sharpness, but it's in a it's sort of like a, a fine-tuning of the contrast. So as you know, sharpness is essentially increasing the edge contrast. Well, noise reduction 
kind of does, it's not technically the opposite, but it does a lot more. But it it is sort of a fine-tuning of the highlight roll-off, and therefore it's an excellent tool for for mitigating the digital effect and for controlling what I call the lens sensor relationship. So, but let me give you a general, I don't know, sort of an analogy here, but it is pretty literal, of what I'm doing with the lens sensor relationship and tweaking this with the camera settings and not just with the LUT. What I'm really doing is something kind of like Ansel Adams. He would work on keeping the tonal range within the zone system. So he wanted highlight detail, he wanted shadow detail. So he had the zone system with 10 steps, but in the middle uh, was medium gray and the highlights and the shadows at either end. But when we use things like I mentioned noise reduction, we're kind of doing a micro adjustment to the highlight roll off. And you also, because you're taking away sharpness, you're kind of reducing the contrast a little bit. And then that affects the shadow area, so you retain a little more detail in the shadows. So it's really not as simple as saying, I don't want to reduce the sharpness, so I'm not using noise reduction. I'm putting that at negative five. It's, it's actually a little more uh, detailed than that. And the fun part is, when you do it every lens, you know, for every lens sensor combination, you start to see, hey, that worked really good. And so I do my uh, camera settings per lens. And then, like I mentioned, the contrast... Uh, taking that down too much can remove color from certain lenses. Uh, and then, you know, so, and then you say, well, what about sharpness? We didn't talk about sharpness a lot as far as the uh, specific adjustment uh, in the camera for sharpness. Well, some of the same concepts um, to mitigating or reducing the digital look that I talked about with using noise reduction are where I use the sharpness. The sharpness, in a certain way, it attacks the sharpness, of course, a lot more than the noise reduction does. And, but like I said, the noise reduction affects the contrast in a more, it's a more like a micro adjustment. So what do I do about the sharpness and when do I turn it down or whatever? Well, the sharpness typically is something I also deal with on a case-by-case basis. That is on a lens-by-lens basis. On a, Each lens-sensor relationship is different especially with lenses that I talked like I talked about the ones that sh- show up the digital stair stepping you know it looks too digital because it's too sharp so I don't really like using the sharpness to adjust the sharpness as much as I do the noise reduction because the sharpness does it way too much so I typically and it's still like I said on a case by case or a lens by lens basis but I will take the sharpness down when the image is super sharp. But if it's just decent, I'm not going to go kill the whole ability for that lens to be sharp in camera just so that I can add sharpness back in post-production. Remember, every step you take in post-production takes time and computer processing power. So there's more to say on these things, but I'd like to just leave it with the, the concept that every lens has its own story. And then when that lens gets together with a certain sensor, that relationship is very specific. It's not going to be something you can just give universal advice, or I can say, here, use these camera settings, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm excited to be putting all of this information up on my website, silverlightphotoco.com slash LUTs. 
and check back frequently if you don't see uh, the lens that you have or the camera that you use up there today. Maybe I will get it. And uh, but but if you do want updates, you can sign up for free. Not, not the uh, paid monthly subscription, but you can sign up for free just to you know have an email login, and that will mean I can send you an update when I produce a new uh, lens sensor LUT. So check it out, and I encourage you to think differently about lens sensor relationships. Every lens has its own story. Thank you again for listening, and have a great day.